Hi, I'm Christina. And hi, I'm Kishwar. And I've just come back for my brother's wedding, you know, a couple of weeks ago in Adelaide. And most interestingly, noting who we're interviewing today and the subject matter, he met his future wife through online dating app. So there you go. There you go. Let's talk about who we're interviewing today. It's Dr. Stephen White. He's a postdoctoral research fellow in behavioral economics and the current deputy director of the Center for Behavioral Economics, Society and Technology. Uh, the best center, great acronym there, at the Queensland University of Technology in Brisbane. His most recent research has explored such diverse topics as sex differences in non-binary gender identification, male and female decision-making in assisted reproductive and donor insemination medical environments, and preferences versus choice in cyber dating markets. Welcome to the Swipe Right at 50 podcast, Stephen. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm assuming, Stephen, you teach as well, rather than just do research. I do, yeah. I'm a a behavioural economist, which is a form of microeconomics. So I teach microeconomics and public policy um, at QUT. And um, do you have at least one session on online dating? (laughs) (laughs) We have... I, uh, I can see where we're going there. Undergraduate students are really interested in applied problems. And when you can give them a setting um, that they can understand themselves, um, it's a great way to learn. And um, yeah, we do. We have a, a policy unit called um, Economics for the Real World, which is sort of a play on QUT's branding of the university for the real world. I've got to dig in there from the vice chancellor. There we go. Um, and, uh, and it looks at, you know, um, applied social problems, you know, gender equity in the labor market, indigenous issues, mate choice or, or online dating. So, yeah, it's a really interesting field. Everybody, um, everybody has an opinion on it or, or an experience that they like to talk about. So, yeah, it's a great space to work in. Yeah, no, excellent. And so just to start off with, you know, the obvious question, at what point did your research start looking at online dating and what was the trigger? As an economist, economists are interested in, um, I mean, it's often confused that economics is the study of the economy. It's not, it's the study of efficiency. So how to make up the best choices we can. And I was, I was doing my undergraduate at the time and I was engaging with a professor here, Professor Ben O'Torgler. And he said to me, oh, the greatest market as an economist to study is is reproduction um, and he said to me oh, you know have you conceptually thought about what it is in a marketplace you know online dating reproducing have you thought about you know what what sperm donation is and 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 the, the future of essentially you know mate choice and uh, he said this would be a really interesting topic for for economists to delve into and I dug around a little bit and no one was doing any of this research and I thought oh this could this could be my patch of turf and I could you know stamp my um, my name on it and yeah that's that was eight years ago. Yeah, it's been it's been great. It's a really super interesting area to work. In. So, one question I have is: Can you elaborate on your research that led you to the article that looked at how people choose partners and caused you to declare that if men are from Mars, women are from Mars too? Because, of course, most of us are familiar with the "Men are from Mars, Women are from uh, Venus" book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the famous book from the was it the eighties um, by Gray. Um, yeah, and I mean, there's this, a lot of our behaviours as humans um, are sort of rule of thumb. You know, we see observations in, in humans and we, and we sort of think that, you know, that the stereotype sort of emanates from our observations. And, and one of these observations is that men and women are these dichotomously opposite. You know, we, we behave differently in every situation and in, in, in every preference. And that's just not true. Um, you know, one of the, the really obvious ones is that um, you know, men, when they go into the mating market, really pursue attractiveness. You know, they're all built around. And another sort of 
um, stereotype is that women, you know, really favour resources. You know, they're interested in not necessarily money, but, you know, education and things that can compensate for the security of their offspring. Both of those things are true, but they're also, they're not true in a sense that the relative difference between men and women is actually very similar. Men and women are, men and women both care about attractiveness. Men and women both care about um, education level. They both care about resources. And what happens is in, in popular culture, we tend to sort of stereotype or, you know, pigeonhole these sorts of behaviours as if they're exclusive to a sex and exclusive to a gender. And we wanted to go out and we, we studied, um, we surveyed about 7,500 Australians who were in an online dating situation at the time. Um, and we found that basically for all traits, we asked them about nine different traits, things like education, income, um, attractiveness. Men and women are very, very similar. It's just that at different stages in our life, our preferences sort of flatten out or will become more accentuated at different life stages. But we both we both sort of want the same thing. Yeah, and, and a good um, segue to, I guess, a question, because we are, uh, our audience is a more mature audience. So mm. how, what are some of these, you know, um, trigger points you mentioned when, you know, you start seeing some differences? Is it after the peak age of reproduction? So you see, um, overwhelmingly across um, age, males do favour attractiveness in females at a greater rate than females favour it in males. There's no difference there. Um, there is, you know, males are always, that that's their priority or in relation to their traits. But it diminishes with age. So men, um, as they age, don't place as high a priority on attractiveness. Um, conversely, things like personality in, in, you know, high reproductive ages, say 16 to um, 30 in females, personality is, is probably the number one characteristic that women go for or state that they're attracted to. But actually, as we age or across the age spectrum up to, we've done research up to 70 years of age, that you find that actually men favour personality more as you get above 50. So it sort of reverses between the sexes. So And there's lots of those sorts of um, behaviours you see in the, in the research where men and women are very, very close and what they, they both value the same trait. Um, but it's just at different life stages, life stages, life savers, good one, life stages, it's, it switches around a bit of, or it becomes more of a priority um, at different times. And um, so a bit of a follow-up question from, you know, that statement that um, Christina referred to, that both men and women, according to you, are from Mars. And you've <laughs> also noted, you know, men and women are equally picky and fussy. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. yeah. So do you think online dating is kind of flushing that out a bit more or facilitating that, whereas we were all more closet, fussy people before? Now it's You're, just out there. We were all sociopaths long before online dating. Absolutely. No, no, no. The study sort of showed that, you know, there are people, you know, you have to think about human behaviour in a distribution. There yeah. are people that are very, very picky. There are people that don't really care and have no preference whatsoever. And what was cool about that study was, is that picky people, and I've had these conversations with Dave from RSVP and, and lots of other people, is that picky people tend to be singled out as being the psychopaths. You know, they're the people, you don't want to be associated with them or whatever. Um, right. But what's interesting about this study was, is that we've found in men and women, there are picky people in both, you know. So it's not just the women that are picky. It's not just the men that are picky. Um, there is a, this distribution of behaviour, of selectiveness. Picky is the wrong word, you know. Our preferences our preferences are really important when we go to search for something. When we go to search for to buy a car or buy a house or, or search for a partner, we have an expectation that's built on our preference. 
And when our preferences aren't met after we make a decision, that sort of then gives us this disutility. Oh, I'm not happy with this or I'm disappointed. And sometimes our preferences, we have this cognitive bias in our, in our perception because our preferences aren't realistic to the market that we're in or actually what we are searching for. A lot of the research that we've done shows that when you build an online profile, which is the traditional way that you go about an online dating, you build a profile for yourself and you build a profile of who you are looking for. And this is your idealized picture of the person that you want. But what our research shows, and, and it's not just with a small group, we, we studied um, 41,000 people on RSVP and more than a quarter of a million contact interactions. We found that the, the preference that people state they want is not a descriptor in any way of the people they contact. So that tells you that what I ideal, idealize in my mind on who I'm looking for, that's not actually the people I contact or engage. So maybe we need to, when we think about how we approach online dating or how you think about you approach any sort of consumption decision, whether it's a house or a car, or um, I hate to compare, you know, marriages to cars and, and but I'm an economist so I can do that you know we need to have a, a more realistic understanding of what we're searching for and that sort of comes back to really why we're searching I love the car analogy actually Steve <laughs> so I was thinking yeah what happens then if you end up with a lemon <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a really famous there's a really famous uh, economics paper um, uh, by a guy in the 70s and it's called a market for lemons and he shows basically that if you're shopping in the new car market, in the used car market, you're going to buy a lemon no matter what. So um, that that's probably yeah. not a really positive thing for the dating market. But it's a good, again, it's a good analogy to know that what you're searching for isn't, you can't sort of know what it is until you find it. Yeah. Um, which, which is tough. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things about online dating, well, you know, I haven't seen all the apps. We should do more research in that area, Christina. Yeah, there's no review feature. Do you know what I mean? So if I date someone online, I can't come back and say, oh, two star as against five star. No, <laughs> person onto the app. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can so you like, imagine? Oh. So like ratings and rankings are something that historically, um, you know, it's been ingrained in our species in the way that we interact and, and make choices. So historically, yeah. if you went to find someone to date, you went to a bar or you went yeah. to a church or you went to your, your work and you mm. interacted with an individual that you thought may be interested in you because it's a two-sided market. That person needs to choose you back. And you had to make the decision there and then. You couldn't sit at the bar and say, look, can you just sit here and mind your martini and I'll be back in three hours. If I find someone better, I'll go home with them. But if not, can Which you just wait here? Which is what you do when you're online. Which is what you've, right. what you've got right. now. It's called yeah, yeah in, uh, quasi-infinite non-sequential choice. There's the um, academic term for it. Wow. But basically it means you can, just, you can just keep searching forever. So that's a fundamental change in the way that we search. Um, and for lots of people, that causes a lot of anxiety. It should be something that actually increases. Um, but like there's positives and negatives. That's a negative one side. But um, there's also, it opens up the diversity of, of who we can meet and how we can interact with people. So, you know, it's like anything, any new technology, it's a double-edged sword. Mm. I have the answer for the lemons, by the way. You just swipe left. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say make lemonade. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you can do either. Yeah. One of your studies looked at sexual economic theory or set, and I love that there is sexual economic theory, uh, which posits that heterosexual mating behavior can be analyzed as a market. 
in which men seek to acquire sexual access from women by offering other resources in exchange. Now, can you elaborate on your finding, uh, findings with this one? Because I found it really surprising that there was this um, premium that, well, less maybe about this, bisexual and pansexual uh, women, but not men, they enjoy a market premium. So that maybe I can understand. But what I didn't, uh, I found lovely, but I didn't believe it, was that women's market value does not diminish with age. Now, that is the opposite of what we're learning from society. So does this mean that older women in the relationship market, we still have currency? Like, have I still got it, Steve? Oh, of course, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. you have an observation, observation of one. That's just my opinion. But I mean, that's all you need. You're only out there searching for one person, you know, unless you're into polyamory and then you're searching for lots of people, but that's not, you know. Um, let's go back to the study. So SET is, it sounds a little bit misogynistic, but, but it's really a theory that applies economics to, you know, what we're talking about in relation to reproductive access. And sex is, sex is the mechanism for reproduction. And if you think about it, there's sort of two schools of thought around sexuality. One is sort of this evolutionary theory um, in that, you know, it's a biological imperative. We all know how to do it. It's been passed down through our genes and, and the variations in our sexuality is somewhat ecological, but it's also, um, you know, based on the interaction between the individuals and, and their self-selection. The other school of thought is this sort of um, more constructionist sort of um, feminist um, sense that's, that's driven by sort of the patriarchal society that controls sexuality. SET sort of takes both of them and sticks them together a little bit and looks at, I mean, the aim of the game from an evolutionary perspective is to pass on your genes. And your mum and dad were successful at it. Your mum and dad's dad, mum and dad, they were successful at it. You're here because they played the evolutionary game and were able to pass on their genes. And what Roy Baumeister and Kathleen Vos, the two researchers that came up with the theory, showed and have grouped a lot of research together to show that resources or the trade between sexes is in, in, in a way revolves around sexual access. And, and some of the examples they use in different cultures or across cultures um, female preference and male preference tends to revolve around you know, things that relate to their ability to be successful in passing on their genes. The study we did is we took some of this theory and we applied it to the Australian dating market. And a lot of what we found sort of aligns with, you know, says that, you know, sex is a resource like any other, you know, your labor is a resource, you know, the time you spend at work, the time that, you know, the federal government doesn't count it, but, you know, um, child rearing is a labor resource. Mm. So sexual access is one as well. And what we did was we asked, I think it was about four and a half thousand Australians to rate themselves and their sexual attractiveness. And what we found was, is that bisexual and pansexual females self-rate their attractiveness higher relative to heterosexual females, but bi and pansexual men don't see any market premium. The next part of your question was about females and age. And again, this sort of contextualizes what you were saying is that women's market value doesn't diminish with age. So women's self-rated attractiveness is steady or increases with age. Now, why would we see that? I mean, you're, you jump to the conclusion that, you know, that the market says that females decrease in attractiveness with age. If I asked women what they valued about why they felt attractive, it wouldn't necessarily, or I'm not a woman, but I would say that it would not be related to their physical appearance 
as they age. So, and if you think about it, as you age, you accrue assets, you accrue experience, you have offspring you're proud of, you know your own social identity. So women's net utility in their own self grows. So I'm not surprised that they would rate that their attractiveness grows as they age as well. I think it's conceptually, and it's a little bit of academia huddle fuddle, but um, it's very different to how society, and you're saying, you know, more popular culture views what attractiveness is because they think of it as the singular in the physical attractiveness diminishes with age. Really interesting. And I think that it was the same research where you talked about, you know, this notion of attractiveness, both for men and women, translates into symmetry. And I think I've seen other research confirming that. So the more symmetrical your face is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. the more attractive so, you are. And I think... Yeah. Yeah, Kim Kardashian so, gets quoted quite often as having a symmetrical face. And it's completely natural. It's a completely natural face, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, no, no, so physical symmetry in, again, from an evolutionary perspective, physical symmetry is a great indicator of, you know, a lack of pathogen um, issues, a lack of poor health. You know, historically, you know, 500 years ago, if you had someone that was very symmetrical in their face, you know, they didn't have distortions or ill health. There was no way to test people to see whether they had disease or any of those sorts of things. So it stands to reason that, you know, symmetry is probably a good indicator of, of physical and biological health in relation to like the Kardashians, you know, and also related to the previous question about attractiveness. Let's never, ever forget that Kim Kardashian is not a real person. You know, her persona and what she projects out into the market is an idealized, you know, marketing exercise. Um, and what you see a lot in, you know, I mean, she's going through a divorce now because I definitely keep up with the Kardashians. But what you see a lot in mate choice in in Hollywood and, and these sorts of star roles is this sort of incestuous little group of people that make lots and lots of money. And it's very financially beneficial for them to continue to mate in this very incestuous little market because then you get to join their names together and they have these cute names like Brangelina. And this is what's known as um, positive assortment. So, and, and this is on the basis of income. There's a huge income advantage for these people to mate with each other, to increase their profile, to increase their income. I think there's a new one with the reunion of um, J-Lo and Ben Affleck. I've forgotten yeah. what, you know, because I'm that's been- I'm so glad we're talking about J-Lo and Ben Affleck and the Kardashians with the- What Agnes. else would there be to talk about? I mean, about, we you know? really are highbrow. Aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be listening somewhere. This is on Spotify. That's, I can see Kanye yeah. listening to this true. right now. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Hey, he's single and he's, he's, he's approaching 50. So there you go. Can you talk about your research findings into personality traits and competitive advantage? I, re I really enjoyed this article. I found it quite interesting. And, and it made a lot of sense to me that extroversion is, is associated with both sexual frequency and, you know, more offspring, but it seemed mm -hmm. a little counterintuitive that uh, for men being less agreeable and less open correlated with more sexual activity and more offspring. So is it true then women are attracted to bad boys? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Well, a couple of things there. So we did a study again with about 4,000 Australian online daters and we looked at different personality traits. We gave um, all of them a, what's known as a big five personality test. Uh, what we found was, yeah, extroversion. Extroversion in men, more extroverted men have more sex and have more offspring. And what we found overall is that men show greater variation in their personality and the greater variation realizes more sex and more offspring. 
And so again, let's take you back to the evolutionary stuff and we think about Darwin and the peacock. You know, why does the peacock have this big boa of, of feathers, you know, to attract the female? If, and if you think about our cultural norms in relation to how uh, we have these, these cultural norms where men approach women. So whether that's in online dating or whether that's in, uh, you know, bars or men are the ones that make the initiation. So again, from an evolutionary perspective, it would be good for men to have greater variation in their personality to be more attractive to women. If every male had the same personality traits, it would just be this carbon copy. There would be nothing for women to select from. So men would have no advantage. So by men being more, again, a greater distribution of personality, um, it could provide them uh, an advantage. In relation to less agreeableness and less openness, less agreeableness has been shown in the literature to, to be something that's correlated with increased promiscuity. Um, so less agreeable men tend to, you know, get around more often. So I'm not surprised <laughs> that they that they have that they have more offspring or they have more sex. In relation to the low openness, openness um, in a personality trait is openness to experience. So the greater you are the more open you are, the more at times you can be more risk seeking. So less openness is, is, is a more structured male, a male that is more risk averse. So if you think about as a female choosing men that are more structured and more risk averse, that's good mm -hmm. for your offspring. You know yep. that they're invested in you and, and you know that they're invested in your kids. Um, so those personality and what's interesting in the, in the female population in this sample, uh, I think there, there was only one trait um, that increased females um, sexual frequency and offspring numbers so women don't need the big variation and this goes back to this you know theory of SET is that females control sexual access and and I mean they they probably should because they pay a much bigger price if they get it wrong you know women have internal gestation for nine months they have ongoing lactation for you know six to 18 months um, and then they're stuck with the child um, for 18 years I can see Kishwan nodding along there. I don't know. I'm not going to say anything about that. So historically, in historical in, you know, environments, um, you know, hunter-gatherer environments, or even up until like 200 years ago when we were having this subsistence living through farming, it would be very, very bad for women to make bad choices because they pay the cost. So it sort of aligns with what Baumeister is talking about in relation to, you know, women controlling their sex and, and their fertility. Interesting. I'm going to take you out of your comfort zone here, Steve. All okay. right. So we're women in our 50s. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to you know, get back into dating, tip I've already got is I've got to Photoshop my face. Got to definitely choose the most symmetrical photo that I have. But yes. um, for your research, what other tips, you know, would you have? So taking, you know, how does translating some of your empirical data to practical yep. dating um, tips, noting yep. you know, the big marketing, our next big marketing event is Valentine's Day. Absolutely. Yeah. That's just around the corner. Yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. So people, single people always feel a bit down about themselves. And, you know, mm. I, I don't know if um, RSVP and other people track this data, whether there's a bit of a surge in registration so in light of the backdrop of um, Valentine's Day approaching, you know, mm. what would be some of your practical tips of men and women yeah. entering the dating scene through online apps? Yeah. Um, I think the big thing is, is know, you know, that you are getting into these conduits, whether it's a, um, you know, a, a 
Tinder or Bumble or, or you know, a more uh, millennial style, or you're working with, you know, RSVP and the more traditional styles of um, online dating, you're getting into this process to meet and engage. You know, the selection is something that comes after. So some of the, you know, like all things in life, try, you know, try different things, try and engage as many people and reach out to as many people as you possibly can. Um, because at the end of the day, as, as unsexy as it sounds, it's a numbers game. You have to get out there to engage with lots of people. If you don't, um, you know, that's your choice. But um, the purpose of what you're doing is to engage. So think about that first and foremost. Um, in relation to, um, you know, what your preferences are, as we talked about earlier, you may have this stylized, idealized um, idea of what you're looking for. And I was talking with um, my mum, who's single, um, and I can't mention her age. And she, I was talking with her about, um, you know, online dating. And, and she was saying, you know, people... Uh, you know, older people become more, sound more picky or whatever. And I'm like, no, you know, life experience and people know what they want and they, um, you know, in that age bracket have been through relationships and know what they're searching for in the future. But again, don't take all of, it's what economists call the sunk cost fallacy. Don't take all of the things that you've been through in your life and then use that as an assessment to make on a new independent choice. Your experiences definitely form who you are, but they shouldn't influence your opportunity to choose in the future. So uh, that's something very, very hard to do because um, as human beings, you know, we, we, we have been hurt or, we, you know, we've had a great experience or whatever, we're trying to replicate that, but this is a new and open experience. The last thing I would probably say is that don't be disappointed if people don't tell the truth completely. Because the research shows overwhelmingly that both men and women tell fibs. And they don't tell massive fibs. They tell little fibs. They tell fibs to the point where, you know, if I met you, I probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference. And, and there are these obvious ones, and you'll know as soon as I tell you, is that men tend to lie about their height and women tend to lie about their weight. Okay. <laughs> so, so, I'm very saying. <laughs> What I'm, saying, <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that we, again, we have in our own mind, our perception of what we are, and we want to project the best of what we have. It's true. So, but when, you know, if you do end up meeting someone online, you talk and they're great and you go and meet them, don't be disappointed if, you know, but someone's not going to say they're, you know, six foot eight African-American and then they yeah. turn up and they're, you know, three foot um, six and they're, you know, from Japan. That's not going to happen. You know, that variation is not. But, you know, just go with uh, and expect that, you know, it's it's a process and you're going to learn and everyone's trying to do the best they can. And also just be safe online. You know, don't give yeah. out private details to people. Don't, um, you know, don't pass money. Don't. Yeah. So just yeah. just be cyber smart. No, some good tips to consider. It's a good time to, yeah, log on, create a profile if you want a date for Valentine's night. Otherwise, you'll be home alone watching Netflix again. Just Pizza Hut's there. It's just a phone call away. So, yeah. yeah. I Excellent. thought you were going to yeah. say age. Women lie about age. Um, so that's interesting because I am guilty of that, I must admit. <laughs> yeah. There was something I was watching the other night and I um, it was a first date on, oh, can I mention to, uh, commercial TV? Yeah. And um, <laughs> there was a guy and a girl and the woman said her age and they put it up on the screen. And I remember looking at my son saying, 
that there's no way that woman is that age. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and this is someone going on national TV. So like people will tell little white lies, but at the end of the day, does that really matter? You know, does it really matter if someone says they're five years younger or if there's someone is wearing, you know, um, the blokes wearing heels that are higher than the female he's dating? Who cares? On, on that note, I did have an interesting chat with a younger woman who's online dating and, mm. um, you know, she sort of said, yeah, some of the lies about age were a bit concerning when it's mm. a very big gap. It's a bit more creepier, you know. She has yeah. mid to sort of late 20s and then there's these sort of 40-year-old men pretending to be early 30s, but when you yeah. meet them, obvious to her you know she sort of said yeah you know some lies are acceptable but like yeah. all lies some are not and some are just outright a bit creepy yeah i mean when when a guy contacts you a 21 year old female and he says he lives at the retirement village i mean that should throw flags <laughs> yeah that should totally throw flags uh, like to speaking to age you know the research uniformly shows that women prefer older men not necessarily generationally older um <laughs> but yeah uh in the 20s you know in the three to seven years older um, and that sort of stays stable for lifespan for both sexes. Men prefer younger women too. Could coach people into, you know, about making the best out of online dating. And I could, yeah, I could. I could yeah. use my powers for evil. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah. it's not evil. Some, it's it's research-based. You, you know, if someone says, oh, you know, we yeah. can all be a bit washy-washy men and women, you can say, well, no, it's actually just a numbers game, you know, and, yeah, if you want to look for the one, you might have yeah. to, you know, up the volume. And yeah, the number absolutely. of people you date rather than... I could definitely be a wingman for someone if they're if they're paying enough money. I'm happy to go out, you know. Excellent. I, uh, yeah, yeah. 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 When I'm in, to- yeah, when we're in Brisbane next, we'll look you, we'll look you up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I drink top shelf vodka, Let's so we'll go somewhere nice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Right now, yeah, no, we're ready for the uh, speed dating round. Are you mm. ready? Mm, yes. So the idea is to say whatever comes to the top of your mind. No right okay, or wrong this, answers. This could be really dangerous. Yeah. And the first question is, what is the one thing you are most proud of? All my children. Far away my children. Good answer. <laughs> when was the last time you tried something new and what was it? I don't know. Can I pass? Pass is <laughs> uh, Who do you most admire? Uh, my mum. She is in Oh, she'd love to hear that. Um, this is an interesting one, I thought. What is the weirdest scar you have and how did you get it? Oh, I got a heap of... Uh, is this emotional scars? No. <laughs> I got some of them too. No. Um, I've got two on my face. I don't know if you can see them. I've got one on my neck from a skin cancer cut off, but I've got one right in the middle of my head. And when I frown, it gives a line. When... Um, when I was about 16 or 17, I, I lived downstairs in my parents' house, um, sneaking a girl out of the out of our house. And the phone rang, and it was her parents. They were sitting outside in the car, and I uh, the, it was completely dark. And I ran to get the phone because I didn't want my parents to pick the phone up to know that I had the girl there. And I ran into a metal bar <laughs> in, underneath my house. And when I remember when I woke up in the morning. Oh, was awake, it was super early in the morning. So my mum said to me, well, what happened? And I said, oh, I just went for a drink in the middle of the night and ran into a door. Um, but yeah, it's all gone now, so yeah. <laughs> That's a good Many story, I ago. like it. Okay, mm. two more here. Would you mm-hmm. rather have endless money or endless love? Endless love, yeah. Money comes and goes. Nice. <laughs> and what is your idea of a perfect date? 
Um, no children. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, really nice food. Um, nice company. Yeah, I'm not too fancy. I'm pretty easy to please. So. No, yeah. but but you're <laughs> all fussy. It's, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, no, no, I'm. Uh, yeah, I don't have high expectations, so I'm never disappointed. Mm. Excellent. Can I throw in a question? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you tried online dating? I have. Yeah, I've tried online dating twice. Um, uh, in between two uh, two serious relationships, online dating is great for especially people like me who uh, I'm not obsessed with my work, but I am constantly working, and I find myself not getting out of the environment I'm in. And I love academics and I love economists, but if I had to date and marry an economist. Kill me now, absolutely kill me now. <laughs> That's why online dating is really beneficial as a modern tool to meet people. Um, you know, opening up access to to a, a broader market that doesn't necessarily mean that all those interactions are good interactions, but but it definitely creates opportunity at a very low cost. No, definitely. Well, I've taken away a couple, you know, a few good points from this. Though that even if my face isn't symmetrical, age isn't a barrier to me. And Christine, not. that's right. And Christina, both you and I are extroverts. Yeah, we're off to yeah, a good start. Yeah, actually, I go. I don't mind meeting people. So you've just reminded yeah. me I need to I need to get more things going here. Yeah, a numbers game, like you said. It is a numbers game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The other um, message that I found quite interesting is don't be held by back by some costs because, no. yeah, I came out of a really bad situation. And, yeah. Christina, you're a bit heartbroken from the end of your marriage. Yeah, and then yeah. there's the concept of lemons and everything else. But, yeah. So, and I, uh, did, I did do that. I came to yeah. Australia for an Australian and our marriage broke up after 27 years. So I said wow. out loud, no more Australians. <laughs> <laughs> Just Which group us all together. I mean. Moving very difficult to do. And so yeah, as it turns it. out, yeah. I have given up that rule. Yeah. 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 I think that's probably like your strategy might not be that bad. I mean, you've got an automatic intro line for anyone. You say you're not from Australia, are you? That can be yes. your first line. Yes. Yeah. 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 Love it. Stephen, if people want to um, find out a bit more about your research, I know you made a whole lot of papers accessible to us. What's the best way? You know, some people might want to take the next step and yeah. go, oh, let's read some of these articles. How can they find them easily without so, going to a library? So a, lot of, a lot of my research is available um, through the Best Centre, the Queensland University of Technology Best Centre um, website, a couple of my video presentations on there. Um, I'm actually giving a, a, a lecture at our conference next Friday on this topic, um, and that'll be uploaded um, another week after that. So they can check out my research that way. And the other takeaway for me has been, oh, it's just me, I'm not good enough, and you know, a whole lot of other things. But your empirical data suggests it's a numbers game. Put yourself out there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, um, you know, we think that we're very different to other people. But like I was saying, you know, a lot of the things and our behaviours, it's not that um, we're, we're so different. We're, we're very, very similar as human beings and we're very, very similar as, as sexes. And we're looking for, a lot of us are looking for the same thing. Um, and, you know, yeah, it is just about getting out there and trying to engage and, and search, you know, the mating decisions, you know, mate choice decisions are a search. It's a search behaviour. So you've got to get out there to search. Teenagers, you know, I have a 21-year-old and a 17-year-old, both boys, and they're both in a committed relationship at the moment. And um, millennials use dating apps in a different way than, um, you know, 
Gen X's, Gen Y's. Um, it's much more of a communicative tool. It's not necessarily about dating and sex. So we have very preconceived ideas in, you know, I'm um, in my early 40s. I had a very preconceived idea about what dating apps were before I started this research and the way that different age groups use them. So, uh, yeah, it's very, very different. And Dave would explain to you or talk with you guys about the, the shape of online dating and how the industry is moving as well. Um, so yeah, they're very, very different. They're horses for courses. So, you know, for your, um, your listenership, different apps are for different things and for different forms of engagement. So do your research and, you know, check out what you're using and how you're using it because you may be unsuccessful on a particular app or site, not because you're not, you know, an amazing person. It's just because you're using the instrument incorrectly. Listen, thank you uh, so much, Stephen, for, for sharing your, your time and your really interesting uh, research uh, with us. I'm, I'm glad you're out there. I think you've been quite good for my self-esteem tonight. I'm, I'm <laughs> it's my good. pleasure, yeah. Thank you for, um, for having a chat. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Kishmar and I want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we recorded today, the Ngunnawal people, and we pay our respects to their elders, past and present. We'd also like to thank my aunt, Akta Jahan, for the music.